Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. If you have a Bible with you, um, or you have one of them Bible apps on your mobile phones, please turn with me. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter number 4. And uh, I just want to welcome you back here this morning to part 3 of our series titled, Why Worry? And uh, in this series, we're, we're taking a really candid look at the reasons why we worry so much, and why we have so much anxiety. And more importantly, we're looking at what God has to say uh, to do about it. Because the truth is, God doesn't want you to worry. Um, and, and we started this series in week one by, by taking a look at the root cause of what worry is. And what we discovered is the root cause of anxiety and worry is the fact that you and I have not come to terms and we have not fully embraced the truth. And the truth that we have not fully embraced is the fact that we are actually not in control. You see, we don't control the wind, we don't control the, inco- the, the economy, we don't control the stock market, we don't control global politics, uh, we don't control other people, we're not in control of the internet, uh, we're not contro- in control of, of the force of gravity, we're not in control of the conditions um, that create forest fires like the one burning in, in Kern Valley. We are simply not in control. We don't even have the ability uh, to control whether or not we wake up tomorrow, whether our family members get to wake up tomorrow. I mean, I mean, if you think about this, um, you got up this morning and so did your loved ones, and that had nothing to do with you. Okay, You should praise God for that because that is completely beyond your control. We are ultimately not in control, and that's the truth that we're essentially denying when we worry uh, because there's something inside of all of us, every one of us, that tells us that we should be in control. We should be in control of things that are beyond our control and we worry and we get anxious and we ruminate and and we get all worked up because we're trying so desperately to be in control of things that we absolutely cannot control but guess what the most liberating truth that you can accept is the fact that we can't control the things that we are not able to control that's the most liberating truth, that you can't control the things that are beyond your control because you're not God. And so we shouldn't be worrying about those things that we can't control. And not only that, we instinctively know that worrying isn't going to help anyway. And we, we know that it's not going to do any good. It isn't even good for us to worry. In fact, we know that, that there are negative health effects and negative uh, mental effects and negative emotional effects to worry. Worry and anxiety are not, are, are not only bad for our health, but they are also bad for relationships and marriages and family and work and school. Worry and being anxious is just simply not good for us, and we know that. But even more than that... <clears throat> Worry is a huge distraction, and it's a huge barrier in a relationship with God because when you worry, you're focused on you and your life and your problems instead of where your focus should be, which is on God and, and His love for you and His ability to sustain you and, and his, his will and plan for your life. And so worry not only is not good for you, but it doesn't even glorify God. And so that's why God doesn't want you to worry. So that's why in week one we talked about and we came really clear about the fact that we need to stop trusting in our ability to control things. And we need to acknowledge the truth that, that we're not in control and instead rejoice in the one who is actually the one in control. And then take everything to him in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. And if we'll do that, then God has promised that a peace that's so extraordinary, that's beyond our ability to comprehend, that peace will come into our lives and protect us. It will, it will guard us as it says, our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then last week we began to talk about how we react 
to these really big uncontrollable issues of our lives. You know, things that are beyond our control, things around us that affect our lives in a profound way, but we really just don't have the ability to control them. You know, like issues uh, in, in our culture where people treat each other so bad nowadays. I don't know if you've noticed, but, but our culture has just come to this place where it's really just hateful and incivil. In, in, in I mean, people are just really mean to each other nowadays. Okay, or, or how about the issues of the Christian faith being constantly under attack? Okay, because right now Christianity is being attacked by other religions. It's being attacked by our culture. It's being attacked by our cultural institutions like higher learning. And it's being attacked by the government itself. In fact, right now there's a bill making its way through the state legislature uh, that's just simply another attack on religious freedom. It's Bill 1146. And it has passed the Senate and is scheduled for a vote on Tuesday in the Assembly. And this bill will effectively make it illegal for Christian colleges to set admission standards based on a moral criteria established in the Bible. Effectively, Christian schools will have to allow people who practice deviant lifestyles uh, to be able to attend their school. In fact, uh, and, and that's just the first step, because the second step, then the next part of the plan, uh, is to force Christian schools to hire people who are openly homosexual uh, as far as pr- professors go. Okay, now we're talking, about, we're talking about Christian schools who have, you know, who are trying to abide by what the Bible says. This is a flagrant attack on religious freedom, and I want to encourage you, um, if you can, uh, tomorrow, just take a moment and call your state assembly uh, and urge them not uh, to vote no on this bill, because it's just another, again, it's another form of attack that our, our government is doing on Christian faith. And even worse than that, though, even worse than that, is, uh, is, is there's just certain bad apples who call themselves Christians, and, and they get tons of immediate attention, and they, they take tragedies like, like Orlando, and they spread you know, a message of just bitterness and hate instead of the gospel of grace and hope. And, and all this does is just validate for our culture you know, who Christians are, right? They just simply think that, culture, that Christians are a bunch of hateful, ignorant bigots, and these guys prove that, right? And, and all this affects all of us because we're being viewed by the world through this lens that we're just like them, okay? Even though that we know that we, we don't we don't share those same hateful assumptions and we disavow those things that they say and condemn the things that they say, we're still labeled along with them and this affects us and this is one of those things, again, it's beyond our control and because so many of these things are beyond our control and so many of these things actually have such a profound effect on our lives and, and, and we're not able to fix or change them, it tends to bring us to a place of anxiety and worry. I mean, these issues are so big. You know, we want to ask really big questions like, when, oh Lord, when will this get better? When will things you know, get back to normal? That's what we want to know. When th- will things get better and when will things get back to normal? And, and, and as we talked about, you know, we worry and ask these questions because there's two realities that we're just denying in our lives. Two realities that we just have not yet come to terms with. Okay, and the, the first reality that we struggle with is the reality that we, we're, we live in a broken world. Okay? We're broken people living in a broken world, which, you know, which means we are all sinners living in a broken world. And that means in the grand scheme of things, it is just not going to get truly better until Jesus comes back. It's not going to happen. Okay? We're all sinners living in a, a, a world infected with sin, which means that when we solve a problem today, there's another problem that pops up tomorrow. Right? And whenever we come up with a solution, there's always a side effect to that solution. Okay? And for whatever good a person can do or can be done in, in society, there's always consequences that are also negative because we live in an imperfect, broken world. And the truth be told, all of history is going somewhere. 
Okay? All of history has a trajectory to it. It's going to a point where, where things will finally break down and fall apart. Okay? That's the nature of the entire universe. Okay? Everything is moving towards breakdown. Everything is moving to a place where everything stops working. Okay? That, that happens all over the universe. In fact, this is a physic, there's a physics term for that. It's called the law of entropy. And so culture and society itself are all moving towards an eventual breakdown that is so bad that God will have to intervene in history. That's why, that's why Jesus calls us to be the salt. Okay? He says that you're to be salt and light. Well, what is salt? Well, 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 salt at that time when Jesus was talking about it was a preserving agent. It was a preservative. It helped to preserve things and slow down rot and decomposition. Okay? That's what it was used for. Okay? It was a preserving agent. Okay? And so salt doesn't completely stop rot and decay. It just slows it down. And, and salt doesn't restore anything back to new. It doesn't take rotten things and make them unrotten. Okay? It just simply slows down the decay. Which means, given enough time, the complete you know, decomposition of our society is inevitable unless God intervenes. Okay? And that's actually the promise that we're all looking forward to anyway. Because regardless of what your end times perspective is, we all as believers look forward to a time when God will intervene into human history. Okay? And we will look forward to the time when He will come back, when Jesus will come back and make all things right. We look forward to the time when all the dead are raised to life and where Christ will judge the world. The righteous will be, will be judged and receive eternal life and they will, they will be with Jesus forever. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell. And everything will be right. There will be no more tears and no more pain and no more grief and no more sorrow and no more sin or death anymore. All things will be at that time better. But in the meantime, until that day comes, in spite of our continued efforts to preserve you know, our culture and, and to be preserving agents, things are going to progressively decay. In spite of our best efforts to be obedient, to do the things that God calls us to do, the world is going to grow progressively darker. That's the very first thing we forget. Okay? Now, the second thing we forget is the fact that it's normal. Okay? What's normal in the world is that the church and Christians are crucified. That's normal. Okay? That's what's been normal since Christ first came here. And so what we're experiencing here in the United States is, in fact, our culture normalizing itself with the rest of the world. Our culture is simply doing what the rest of the world has always historically done, which is to hate the truth and to persecute God's people. But even though this is normal for the world, we are still worried about it. So how do you deal with that worry? It's such a fundamental thing. How do we overcome the worry as these things continue to happen in the world around us that are so far beyond our control but affect all of our lives? Well, last week we learned a very practical application from the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. was found in the book of Matthew chapter 6. Is this text, Jesus, where he tells people you know, that in spite of the fact that they're being economically and politically and religiously oppressed, and everybody's exploiting them at every turn, he says that they're not to worry or be anxious about anything, particularly their lives. But instead, they are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all the things that they need, will be added or given to them. You see, the antidote, antidote that Jesus prescribes for worry in such hard times is first and foremost to seek the glory of God in all they do in their lives and to trust God who is actually in control of everything anyway. Right? And that He's going to take care of everything. That He will meet their needs and he, that He will provide for them. That's the bottom line thing that we learned. That, that we're to seek God first and trust that God will take care of everything that we need. Now, 
That's just a real brief sketch of what we've talked about so far in the last couple weeks. Uh, but we really covered a lot more ground. And so uh, if you missed either week, then do yourself a favor, take some time this week, and listen to the messages that you've missed. And you can do that by going to our church website or our SoundCloud page. You can listen to them. Uh, and actually, the addresses are in your bulletin. And, and you can just take a moment and listen to what you've missed. And it'll go a long way, I promise. It'll take a long way to help you with worry. Now, let's just... Um, Let's just sketch out what we've actually kind of kind of learned, kind of get it out there so we can kind of wrap our heads around it. Um, and, and, and what we've learned is worry is, in essence, okay, a lack of faith in God. Okay? Worry is where we lose focus on God and His ability to take care of us and take care of the things around us. We begin to focus on ourselves. We begin to focus on our problems and our issues and, and our desire, then, to be in control of things that we can't be in control of. That's what really what worry is. And so far, we've talked about several practical ways to fix that. Worry, okay, to, 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 to fix worry is to, what you have to do is to shift our focus back to where our focus belongs, which is on God. That's the way you fix worry. You shift your focus from your life and, and, from, and, and, and you shift your focus in your mind back to God. Okay, that's the solution to worry. And it, as simplistic as that may seem, it's the truth. Because when you're worried, you're not focused on God. I'm just telling you. When you're worried, you're not focused on God. When you're anxious, you're not trusting God. When you ruminate about things that might be happening or, or, or could happen, you're not walking in faith and in, in God's ability to take care of you. Worry is a lack of faith in God and His ability to, 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 to watch over you and to care for you. And so the solution... To worry is to shift our focus off of us and all, you know, and off the problems we have and onto God. And, and, and that's why our practical solutions include things like admitting our lack of control, rejoicing in the one who is in control, praying about everything to the one who's in control, seeking to honor God in all that we do, and then trusting Him to take care of us. Okay? Each one of these things that we learn from Scripture is designed to shift our focus off of us and onto the one who has um, the ability to, to fix it. Okay? We take the focus off of our lives and onto God. Okay? Our focus should always be on God. That's the solution to worry. Focusing, you know, on, focusing our hearts and minds and our lives on Him. These are the practical applications from the Word of God that help us to do just that. And let me just tell you, okay, if you will do these things and keep on doing these things, your life will change for the better forever. The quality of your life will change. Okay? You will have more clarity of thought. You will make better choices. You will be healthier physically, mentally, emotionally. And you will be a better person. You'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better student. Your life will be better. And you will be better able to glorify God in your life if you keep doing these things things. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to have every possible little material thing that you want in your life, because that's not what I'm saying at all. Okay? What I'm saying is, your life will be better because you personally will become better, and you'll be better able to glorify God in your life. And if you will do these things, your life will get better, and it'll, it'll go a long way to help you to remove doubt from your life. Now, these things are not actually all there is, though. 
Because the, the truth is, when you read the Bible, worry is such a huge problem and anxiety and, you know, and fear are things that God over and over again says don't engage in. Over, to get, over again, the Bible says, don't be afraid, don't be anxious, um, don't, do not let your hearts be troubled. We've heard that many, many times, right? It tells us over and over again not to worry. And the reason for that is because, as we said, when we worry, we take the focus off God. Okay, and, and, and the world is so full of stuff to worry about. That's why the Bible says over and over and over again, do not worry, do not be afraid. That's why God in His Word gives us so many practical solutions to worry. Now, we've discussed several practical solutions so far in the last couple of weeks. But today I want to share with you a few more practical things that you can do in your life that I think will have a huge impact on the quality of your life and help you to deal with the worry and anxiety that you struggle with. And uh, we're going to find these things in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. And, and, and before we jump in here and really look at that, let me, let me just let me explain some things about this book. okay? Because this letter to the Philippians is a book that so many people misunderstand. You see, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write this in some seaside cafe on the Mediterranean enjoying the sun and drinking a cappuccino. Okay? Okay? He wrote this letter from a prison cell in Rome. Okay? He was in prison when he penned these words. He wasn't traveling from church to church. He wasn't on a missionary journey. He wasn't on vacation. He wasn't visiting with friends. He was in prison. And this is really, really important to understand because so many people will use what Paul writes in this book or this letter out of context, especially some of the stuff he wrote in chapter 4. Okay? In fact, two particular verses that get taken out of context all the time is chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which many people take to mean that God's going to strengthen me to do whatever I set my mind to do, whatever I goal I set, that he's going to strengthen me to do that. Okay? And then also then verse 19 he says, um, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. Which many people mean to think that God means that he's going to give them all the material blessings that they want. If they'll just believe, right? That God will, will make you rich. It says riches, so they must mean that God's going to make you rich, right? Well, neither of these things are true. They're completely out of context, okay? In fact, the context of this verse has nothing to do with God prospering people with material abundance or helping them to achieve their personal goals, okay? The context of this passage is Paul, a man in prison, writing to a church telling them that God will strengthen his believers to endure and overcome life's difficult trials. And that he's going to provide for their needs in, in order to do that, even in the darkest of times, like food and water and clothing, just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Okay? That is the context, that God will strengthen you and take care of you, even when things are really, really hard. Now, that's why Paul says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord. Always again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Or the Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Okay? Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying is that when things are really, really dark and difficult, don't worry. But rejoice in the Lord, the one who is in control, the one who, who, who can take care of everything and, and pray about everything. Okay? And, and this incredible God-given peace all right, will give you not every desire of your heart okay? and, will, and will not take all your problems away, but instead will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay? Paul's encouragement isn't about God magically taking away trouble. 
Okay, God, but, but instead, his, his, his encouragement is to, to take the focus off of ourselves and off of our problems and place the focus where it belongs, on God. That we stop worrying and stop focusing on ourselves and start praying and focusing on the one who provides and who's in control in the first place, God himself. That's the context of this, this, this text. And as we mentioned before, in this text, we're given a couple of practical applications to help with worry, which are rejoice in God and pray to Him about everything. So those, that's the practical things that we can do to help shift the focus from ourselves and our worry and onto God and, and our focus on Him. Now, in this same chapter, though, Paul offers up a few more practical solutions to worry that I really want to share with you today. And so let's take a look at them. And we're going to go ahead and start again back in Philippians chapter 4 that we have the context right um, and, and, and beginning back in verse 4 Paul writes he says rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace okay you need to pay attention to this right here and the peace of God will, that surpasses all understanding will guard our, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and then the very next verse, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever, if there is anything excellent, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, again, in these two little verses, there is a lot here. So let me just start by, by, by dissecting something real quick. Okay? And what I want to point out here is a relationship. There's a relationship between verse 7 and verse 9. See, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9 says, And the God of peace will be with you. Friends, let me just tell you, when Paul does stuff like this, it's not by accident, okay? When Paul words things the way that... Paul is very, very careful to word things, okay? And he didn't word these things, you know, this way by accident. He did it on purpose. He's trying to make a point. These verses are connected to one another. Okay, let me show you how, okay? It says, the peace of God that protects our minds and our hearts comes from the God of peace who is with us. You understand that? God is the author of peace. He is the author. He is the source of all peace. And the peace that surpasses all understanding, this peace that's beyond our ability to reconcile, it's, it's like that because it comes from a supernatural source. It comes from God. Okay, It's a supernatural peace because He is the source. And it comes to us from Him because guess what? He is with us. This is such an important point right here. This should be right here. This should, this should bring comfort to you always in every circumstance. That the God of peace, the creator of all things, the sovereign Lord, you know, who is in control of all things, is with you. What an important promise that is. God himself, the author of peace, will give you his peace because he is in fact with you. Okay? That knowledge right there should stop you in your tracks when you begin to worry. God, God, the author of peace, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, right? the Alpha, the Omega, the one and only true living God is with me. Not metaphorically, but literally with me. 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The Spirit of God lives in you. Jesus Himself said in, chapter, in, uh, in John 14, beginning verse 15, He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. Which means He's always with you. Which means He always hears your prayers. Understand that every time you open your mouth to pray, He hears your prayers. Right? And He always knows what you need. Right? And He's always there to help. Okay? That knowledge by itself should help you when you start to worry. Not to mention you know, the promise that God has made about always being there and always being with you. He says, He goes, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's a, a huge comforting promise to know that the God of peace will give us peace. Because He's with us. Now the second thing I want to point out about this relationship with these verses is this, this relationship serves to connect these verses together, which means they are related. Okay? They are connected in one thought. Okay? So let's just read it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He is near. Remember, He is with you. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be worried about anything big or small. But in everything, all things, by prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your presence, your, your, your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you hear this? Okay? The Lord is near. Okay? The peace of God will protect you. And the God of peace will be with you. This is one connected thought that is meant to encourage believers not to worry, but trust in God. And remember, Paul is writing this from where? He's writing this from prison. Okay. This is one connected thought that gives us several practical things that believers can do to apply to our lives in order for us to do just that, which is, which is not to worry and trust God. And as we mentioned, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord. Verse 6 says, Pray about everything. But let's look at verses 8 and 9, because they have two more applications that help us to conquer worry. Okay, And so we'll start with uh, verse 8. It, it, says, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay. Now this right here, this is an application that is just so easy to overlook. So what happens when you have a text like this, like, like chapter 4, okay, there are so many great theological things. There are so many great memory verses. It's really easy to overlook stuff. Okay, all right. And what he's saying here is if you want to stop worrying, okay, in this particular verse, if you want to stop worrying, you want to get rid of anxiety, if you want to get over the fear that you have, then what you need to do is you need to change the way you think. That's what Paul's saying here. Okay? You need to change the way you think. You need, to, you need to change the things that you're thinking about. You need to change the things that you're focused on. You need to change the way you think. 
Because when you're worried, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about the stuff that you're worrying about, right? When, when you have anxiety, what's on your mind? The things that make you anxious. When you're afraid and you keep rolling things around in your head, what is that? Right? It's the stuff that makes you fearful. Worried people are worried because they're, they're thinking about the things that make them worry. That's what the old saying says. You become what you think about. That's true. They worry people think about things that worry them. Negative people think about, about negative things. Angry people think about the things that make them angry. Sexually immoral people think about sexual immoral, immoral stuff. Greedy people think about themselves and the stuff that they want and the stuff that they, they can't have. Anxious people... They think about the stuff that makes them anxious. You become what you think about. And by the same token, joyful people become joyful because they think about the things that bring joy. Content people think about the blessings that they've been given in God. Confident people think about the God who is with them and that they know they can trust Him. Okay? Hopeful people think about the things that they have hope in. We become what we think about. Okay? The things that we think about are the things that shape what we do, okay? These things that are worthy to think about is what Paul's saying. These things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, you know, and if they're excellent and worthy of praise, think about these kinds of things because these kinds of things come not from us. They come from God. See, Paul wants us to redirect our thoughts to these kinds of things because as William MacDonald notes, he says, right living comes from right thinking. Now, understand... Please understand, I'm not talking about pie in the sky, positive mental attitude, self-help, mumbo-jumbo stuff. I'm not talking about the stuff that you can read in a thousand different books, okay? I'm not talking about you standing in the mirror reciting to yourself, you are beautiful and you are strong and you're worthwhile and you can do whatever you want to do. And Okay, I'm not talking about being positive for positive sake, okay? I'm talking about, you know, is a practical way to take the focus off of your life Okay, and and, and, and and off the stuff that you're worried about, okay, and shift it from your worries toward God and His goodness and His provision and His promise to take care of you. I'm I'm talking about a way to change your focus from you centered to God centered, okay? From from your worries to God's goodness, from your weakness to God's strength. Remember, God is with you wherever you go. And remember, the heart of worry is a lack of faith in God. So I'm talking about mentally growing in our faith and trust in God by changing the way we think and changing the things that we think about. Because let's be honest, you've got plenty of negative things to think about. There's lots of stuff in your life that's taking up a lot of mental space. Your bills, your job, your relationship with your in-laws maybe, okay? All right? That knucklehead that, that keeps like, you know, saying stupid stuff on Facebook, all right? You spend lots of time thinking about your kids and, and, and how they're going to turn out and how they're going to grow up and what they're up to. You know, you think about your spouse and what they're doing and who's that number on their cell phone, right? You think about the economy. You think about who the next president's going to be. You think about terrorism. You think about Great Britain leaving the European Union. Some of you think a lot of about you know things like like the end times and raptures and signs and marks and shadow shadow economic systems and radio frequency ID implants. Some of you really you know think a lot about conspiracy theories like the Illuminati and aliens and and the supposed chemtrails left behind by jets in the sky. Okay, there's a lot of negative things that people think about. There's a lot of stuff that takes up a lot of mental space, which means there is a whole lot of stuff that's keeping you distracted from what you're supposed to be focused on in the first place. Let me just tell you the secret. If you're a believer in Jesus, your focus is supposed to be on God all the time. 
Right? Your focus is supposed to be on God. You're to keep your hearts and your minds fixed on God. That's why Paul says these things. Because all these things, if they're true, if they're honorable, if they're just, if they're pure, if they're lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise, they're from God because every good and perfect thing comes from God. Paul urges us to think about these things so we can keep our minds on God. Now what's interesting about this particular phrase um, that, uh, that, that says to think about, where that comes from, is this Greek word right here. So let me, let me see if I can pronounce it. Okay, It's pronounced logizomai. Logizomai. All right? And this word right here means to think, it means to count, it means to reason, it means to reckon, or it means to kind of factor in. All right? And so kind of take this idea like this. All right? When you're confronted with an ugly truth about life, factor in your mind the things that are beautiful. Okay? When you're confronted with the fakeness and deception of the world, consider the things that are, are true. If you're met by a flagrant wrong, factor in the things that are just. If you experience things that are lamentable in your life, then think about the things that are praiseworthy in your life. You see, changing the way you think isn't, de- isn't a denial of the of reality that there's wrong in the world in your life. It's, just si- it's, ship- it's simply shifting the focus of your mind and your thought and energy towards, uh, you know, towards the place where your hope actually is. Because we all know that things are, are not going to get completely better until Christ comes back. We know that our culture will continue to become more and more and more normal as the hatred and, and persecution of those who follow Jesus increases. We know that the economy at some point is going to take a turn and it's going to be tough. Okay? We, we know that people you know, that we love that, that are going to get sick and hurt. There are people that we love that, 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 that we're going to lose. We know that. All right? We know that we're going to be betrayed. We know that we're going to be talked about. We know that we're going to be mocked and we're going to be gossiped about on social media. We know our kids are probably going to do something stupid that's going to make us hang our heads in shame and want to choke them to death. Right? We know that our enemies are going to attack us. We know that our spouses are going to tick us off. We know that the government is going to do even more stupid stuff tomorrow than it did yesterday. All right? We know that we're going to be let down by people close to us over and over and over and over again. We know these things are going to happen because we live in a broken world and we're broken people. We know these things. We're not going to deny these things. In fact, we're going to embrace the truth and accept them for what they are. But we're not going to focus on them and spend all of our mental energy focused on wishing that we could control and fix and change them. We're going to accept them as part of the world that we currently live in, but then we're going to move on and focus on and think about God and His goodness and His love for us and His provision and His promise to provide for us. We're going to focus on Him who's the source of all of our hope and peace. We're going to focus on serving Him and helping other people to do the same thing. We're going to change the way we think about the world around us. We're not denying the truth about how things actually are. We're just we're, 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 to, we're to think about how God can use these things and how He can change these things and how He can redeem these things. We're to see the hope and the beauty and the possibility that exists because God is actually near. That is what we're to do. That's the change in our thinking. So another important way to overcome worry in your life <clears throat> is to change the way that you think. And then in verse number 9... Paul gives us another practical application. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now let me just... I'm going to lay all my cards on the table right here. 
Okay? When Paul's talking about here, he's talking about one of the biggest issues in all of Christianity. This is so easy to overlook, but this is one of the biggest issues in all of Christianity. You see, there are lots of Christians who study theology and study the Bible. There are lots of who study interesting subjects like apologetics and uh, biblical archaeology and, and, and eschatology. Okay? There are lots of people, lots of Christians who listen to sermons on, uh, you know, in church. They listen to sermons on the radio. They listen to uh, and even download sermons on the internet. You know, and they, they listen to them over and over again. I, I, know, I know Christians that listen to three or four pastors a week. That's great. Okay? Right? There are lots of Christians who learn a lot about the Bible and, and Christianity and can even recite lots of verses. But few Christians actually put what they learn into practice. That's what he says. So few Christians actually do what they're taught to do. That's what Paul says. He says, what you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard... What you've been taught in Sunday school, what you've read in the Bible, what you've seen in me as an example, you need to practice these things. You need to put them in practice. Or in other words, you simply just need to do them. That's what Paul's saying here. You need to do what the Word of God says to do. Don't just be a hearer of the Word. Be a doer of the Word. Don't build your house on the sand by just hearing and not doing. Build your house on the rock by doing what the Word of God says to do. This is one of the most powerful, action-oriented, result-getting, life-changing applications in the Bible when it comes to lots of things, but especially when it comes to overcoming your worry. This right here is where the rubber meets the road. Don't just hear the Word of God. Don't just read it. Don't just think about it. Practice it. Put it into practice. We've all heard the expression, practice what you preach, right? Well, let me just add to this. Why don't you practice what you believe, right? Do the things that you've been taught. Do what you've heard. Do what you've been shown by example. Get busy doing what God is calling you to do. You see, it's the doing. It's the doing that actually changes things. It's the doing that changes the direction of your life. It's the doing that creates solutions. It's the doing that changes circumstances. It's when you do what God calls you to do that the world changes. It's, it's, when, it's when you do what the Bible says to do that you create these pockets of, of God's kingdom here on earth where people can, can see and interact with, where people can encounter God in, in a real, invisible way. It's the doing that creates momentum in our lives. It's the doing that's the most effective solution to most of our problems. Because think about this. If you were worried about money, but you decide to do what the Bible says about money as far as, as, far as like saving and giving and working and being wise, you're going to find financial peace. Okay? If you worry about your job and, and your work environment, but, but then you decide to go out to work and do what the Bible says about work and actually work like you're working for God Himself and you treat every person, including your co-workers and your boss, with the dignity and love that God calls you to, let me just going to tell you, you're not going to have much to worry about at work. Okay? If you honor God with what you do at work, He will take care of you there. God will change the things and give you peace. If you're worried about your community, about what's happening here, then get busy doing what the Bible says and love your neighbor and helping those in need. Do what the Bible says. It will change things. You know, one of the things that frustrates me so much on Facebook is the, is the people that, that are known as the somebody shoulds. You know, they're the, peop- the, the Facebook's full of people who, who, are, who are the somebody shoulds. You know, somebody should do this. Oh, somebody should do that. The church is full of those kind of people too, by the way. You know, they always come to the pastor and go, hey, you know, somebody should, somebody should, somebody should, right? No, not somebody should. You should, okay? 
Let's, let's turn this around. You should. Okay? You got something that you're worried about? Then you should do something about it. Okay? You got something that's concerning you? Then you should do something about it. All right? Do what the Word of God says. Do something about it. You worried about hungry people? Then feed them. Right? You worried about the, the drug addicts in our town? Then, then go out and actually love them and, and meet them and relate to them and pray with them and then point them to new life recovery. And before you snarl up your nose at me like, well, I ain't going to do that. All right? That's not going to work. Okay, let me just tell you a little quick story. Okay? Just the other day, I was talking to a good friend of mine about a conflict I was having with a person and he and I have both had issues with this particular person in the past. And not one, not two, not four, like dozens of issues. Dozens of like, I mean like, like I would be bald if I had hair kind of issues, okay? And I was expressing my frustration and I'm really just trying to like, you know, you know kind of calm down. But it's kind of therapeutic to talk to him about it. And, uh, and he tells me, you know, I'm over it. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I made a peace with that person because I just, I just couldn't keep dealing with it. And I looked at him really funny. I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Because, now, understand, I know personally what this man's been through. Okay? I, have, I, I know what he's had to deal with. And he's had to deal with lots of garbage at the hands of this other person. Okay? Lots of downright petty, mean, hateful stuff. Okay? There, there was some stuff that really cost him something in the process. All right? I mean, he went through a lot of pain and grief and, and just rejection because of this one person, he said to me, I decided, you know, I'm just going to go make peace. I'm just going to make a point to be nice. I'm just going to move past it. I'm not going to carry it around anymore. You see, instead of letting this person be a source of an anxiety to my friend, um, he just did what Jesus said to do. He said, love your enemies. You know? And he did that, and it changed. Doing the Word of God is such an effective antidote to worry because it has a power to change things. And change things in real time. It has the power to tear down walls. It has the power to soften hearts. It has the power to create opportunities. Doing the Word of God you know, helps to move us from being a victim of circumstances to a proactive participant in the solution. Taking action and doing the Word of God helps us to focus our minds and our hearts and energy in a direction that's positive and useful and productive. And more importantly, it's great power that God has given us. He's invested in us to change the world. So you worried about the things in your marriage? Then husbands, get busy loving your wife with the reckless abandon that Jesus loved the church with. You worried about your marriage? Then wives, then Submit and support your husband the way the church is supposed to do for Christ. You worried about, you know, Christian persecution in our country? Remember what Jesus said. If the world hates you, it hated me first. So love your enemies. In fact, he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Which is really your ultimate purpose anyway, which is to bring glory to God. Doing the Word of God is your power to affect the world around you. And it really is the power for you to really glorify God in your life. Now, with that, we know that worry doesn't help. It doesn't work. It doesn't change anything. We know that it's bad for our health. We know that it's bad for our emotions and our, and our mental state. We know that it is not good for families. It's not good for relationships. It's not good for jobs. We don't like the way it makes us feel. And most importantly, it doesn't even glorify God. So what are we going to do with this? Okay. 
Well, like everything that we've learned so far, I'm going to help you to take this and make it really practical so you can apply this to your life. So what I want you to do is I just want to take out your notes, and I want you to go to the, the application part of the, you know, the section in the bottom, and I want you to write down a couple things. The first thing I want you to write down is just this little phrase. Think the JPLWC. I'm not really crafty with like stuff like that, so you just have to bear with me. Think JPLWC. Why don't you say that with me? Think the JPLWC. All right, this right here, this, is, this, this might sound weird, but it's an acrostic to help you remember you know, that when you begin to worry, what you need to think about is you need to be thinking about things that are true, honorable, excellent, just, pure, lovely, worthy of praise, and commendable. You need to begin to change your thinking by thinking about things like blessings in your life and how God has been good to you and how God has, you know, you know, mended relationships or you have seen how, you know, anything that's good or honorable or lovely or excellent, okay? You need to think about how God is in control. You need to change the way you think. So when you feel yourself going negative and starting to worry, you need to think the JPL WC, Okay? The second thing that you need to write down, and it's to borrow a phrase from, from Nike, is just do it. Okay? Just do it. Do the Word of God. Do what you have learned to do and what you've been taught to do. Okay? So when you feel worry and anxiety, you just need to ask yourself, what is it that God would have me do here? Is it love my enemy? I can do that. Is it to meditate on Scripture? Man, you talk about something that will help with, with, with worry, is meditate on Scripture. Right? Is it to turn to Him and pray about all things? Is it to feed the hungry? Is it to go share Jesus with someone else? Is it to, you know, be patient and kind and thinking about others' interests before my own? All right. What would God have me do? That's the question you need to ask. And the most important thing is do it. Because doing is what changes things. So that's what you need to do this week. And I, and I promise you, again, I'm making promises, but I'm making promises that, that, that I can keep and that God can keep. Okay? If you will do these things in your life, if you will change the way you think when you begin to worry, and if you will actually do what the Word of God says, you will change. Your life will change. You will be a better you. And you will glorify God in your life in brand new ways, which is exactly what you were created to do in the first place. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm just going to say I'm guilty right now. I spend so much time in, in commentaries, and I spend so much time in theology books, and I read your word, and it's just so easy for me to get caught up with the thinking part of my faith, that I think that, that that's the doing part. And it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It is not. I need to, yes, think it. I need to know it and believe it, but then I need to turn around and I need to do it. So help me, Lord. Help me to be more patient. Because, Lord, I'm struggling to be patient. Help me to be more loving. Because sometimes I struggle with that. Help me to be kinder. Because, again, Lord, I can think about being kind and say love your enemies all day long, but I need to actually do that. And I pray that all of us would take that seriously and take it to heart. That we would do that, Lord. That we would put into action things that you say. When you say to love our neighbors as ourselves, that literally means that. It means if I'm in the middle of watching CSI and my neighbor needs something, I need to turn the TV off and go take care of that. You know, 
I, I need to literally be present to do the things that you're calling us to do. I need to love the way that you want me to love. I need to, to, to be patient the way you want me to be patient. I need to, I need to care the way you want me to care. And I need to turn to you when I'm, when I'm worried. I need to pray about all things. Lord, if we could just get that right. If we could just all make a point to pray more. Man, how that would change. So, Lord, I'm, Lord, I'm just praying right now that the Holy Spirit, because He is in us, because you are in us, that you'd use that to convict our hearts and to pierce our hearts, to cause us to move towards obedience in this. That we would obey you in this. That we would obey you in a brand new way in this. That we would walk in your word. That we would think differently. That we would see the opportunities and not the challenges. And that we would see your glory and not our own pain. And that we would see, Lord God, you and the solution you provided, which is Jesus. And then we would then go out and do what we're called to do. And I just I thank you for that. And I pray that right now that you would raise up in this congregation of people that are hungry for you and are hungry to see people get saved. They would go out into this world and they would share the hope of Jesus Christ with our community and further out. And I pray that for those that are, who are not here, that you would bring them back safe. And I pray that for traveling mercies for them. And I pray that you meet everybody's needs as you promise that you will. And I thank you for that. And I glorify your name. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. For listening, you've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org and please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.